and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series, one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Kaupersamoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Symbiosis. This episode was written by Robert Lewin, Richard Manning, and Hans Beimler, and directed by Wynne Phelps. It first aired on April 16th, 1988. For today's check-in, let's talk about the idea of uh, non-interference, the prime directive. It's so complicated. It is. I was thinking about that in this episode, too. I was like, okay, but how much should it apply in this circumstance? Because there was a distress call right like theoretically they they are interfering right then because it's still a pre-warp society right it's a pre-warp society but it it looks like it's not it's not a pre-warp society that hasn't already had contact with other extraterrestrials like they're not that surprised to see humans yeah because there are different species from two different planets Right, the Breckians and the Ornarans, or are they the same species? They look similar, I, and they have they have similar abilities and stuff too. So I'm not I'm not exactly yeah, sure. Yeah, I guess that's not that's not clear. But they haven't they haven't like um, developed warp travel, even if they have developed like interplanetary. Yeah, and so yeah, there might be those lines that you definitely can't cross, like pre warp society that hasn't had contact with extraterrestrials. You want to be pretty careful. Yeah, and this is Picard is always really really focused on the Prime Directive and their overall impact on where they go and what they do. And, you know, I wonder about that in our own world. Yeah. How much does non-interference come into play in our own politics and decisions and military operations? And, like, is there written out policy about that in, when it comes to foreign foreign affairs? I don't uh, even that know. That I don't know. How that works, yeah. What, so a couple things that I was thinking were... So one is that it's a little more complicated, I think, with international policy, like with Earth, like our current current situation outside of Star Trek, because in uh, this part of the world, we really benefit from stuff that goes on in other parts of the world. So, and and, and a lot of it is, um, let's to, to name it, a lot of it is like exploitation of the global South. So to say we're not going to interfere, well, that's false. We already have interfered. And we, you know, we use resources from parts of the world that have less economic power than we do. So if for us to say like, well, we're not going to interfere with those conflicts, I think is a little disingenuous, which is different from the prime directive where it's like, like the United Federation of Planets is not benefiting at all from the Ornarian and Breckian conflict. Right. There's no connection or no prior connection. Whereas on our planet, we are obviously all interconnected now. Yes. But it's still thinking about in what ways could you affect negatively through your intervention even if you had positive intentions something that might be going on somewhere else absolutely like like thinking about stuff that's going on right now so two big things that have come up in the news recently around the time of of this recording so one is that the u.s is pulling their troops out of afghanistan after almost two decades of being there and it looks like as soon as they leave things are going right back to where they were before they got there. And let's not forget that the reason the Taliban was able to get the power that they had had to do with getting funding from powers like the U.S., this is, again, not something that, that they weren't connected to, but, you know, the U.S. and Canadian troops being there didn't exactly help the situation in any long-term meaningful way. Yeah, and I was reading about how 
how experts are were actually surprised at how quickly the Taliban is resurging back and taking territory back through the country, and and that there really was no coherent like state building strategy. So there was there's a military strategy, but the long term strategy in terms of building a stable state afterwards is not there. Like this is the far end extreme of what the prime directive would be looking at. They're like, let's not you know interfere with one element of a society because it can have these gigantic ripple effects. Here it's like we're gonna go and and take basically occupy an entire nation. Yeah. Actually, there was a good article on Medium that I was perusing through for this episode, and it was written by it's a woman named Laura Jadid. She was deployed in Afghanistan twice. And she wrote an article. She turned her Twitter feed on the subject into uh, an article on Medium. And she was saying just like there are so many things that they're trying to do that just backfired. Like, you know, trying to give fertilizer to opioid farmers so that they would produce wheat instead. Yeah. And that a lot of that fertilizer would end up uh, in bombs, yes. you know, and, and that kind of thing. So it's, yeah, it's super complicated. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to do in that situation. And then, like, if I were a leader right now, I, would, I don't know what I would do. And so, and I think that's part of what Picard is trying to say in situations like this, is that once you get involved, you're involved. Yeah. And that's why the, the weight of the ethical and moral ramifications, and that that is what I didn't often hear. I mean, the, the invasion of Afghanistan was, like, I was in, like, second year university. I think this is yeah, this a long time ago. Now. But I, you didn't really hear a lot about about that conversation. It wasn't a lot about, okay, so what are the long-term ethical ramifications of us going in? It was more about like the show of demonstration of military force. And, you know, especially depending on which politicians and news sources you're listening to. There's also, I think, an element of, maybe not an element, maybe this is a big part of it, I'm not sure, uh, but of like white saviorism. And I think mm-hmm. that while I love Crusher's justice side, I, I love that Crusher is like a doctor first and a Starfleet officer second. I, I, I really do love that side of her. But I, I think that she is falling into the trap that many people from privileged backgrounds fall into, which is, I know how to help these people. They just need to to take the solution that I give them. And Picard is like, no, you actually don't. Yeah. Maybe you can help them with this one thing, but it's much broader than that. And I think that that was a lot of what was used to justify and what is used to justify all kinds of invasions and occupations is it's under the guise of help. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be military force. So, you know, my background's in international development, and so I've worked abroad with a number of nonprofit organizations. And in studying it academically, there's always concerns around sustainability in the long term when trying to help other societies. Like, for example, like if you want to help people in their food production, you can go somewhere and drop off a bunch of farming equipment. But if no one knows how to maintain that farming equipment and it breaks in the future, then it just sits there. Right. Useless. Right. Or you could go to a country and you can build a bunch of schools. But it's not the construction of the school building itself that's the long-term cost investment. It's paying the teachers and maintaining the buildings and having the infrastructure around an education system that often doesn't exist either. So you, you could go and build a bunch of buildings and say they're schools, and they may not operate for very long anyway. Yeah. And I think with that, again, it's also very tied to like if the country you're coming from is exploiting the the labor or the resources of that country, then building the schools is like a a band-aid solution or like a a show of, well, look, we're also supporting you without actually fixing the exploitation. Right. And then we're, but we're also setting up a mining operation that's going to leave oil spilled in your country or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. But then we can blame you for not funding the schools that we built. 
Yeah. When I was over in Sierra Leone, we had this situation where, because we were we were there with a, a sports organization, so we were doing sport and game activities for, for youth. A lot of youth that had been used as child soldiers and, and had never really had an opportunity to like play before. So it was, we were trying to come in and, and provide sport and play opportunities uh, for young people and for young people to connect with coaches in their own community. So form these links with adults and stuff. And what had happened in one of the communities that we were in is that the sports equipment was stolen by some of the coaches and taken away from where it resided, which was with one of the elected community leaders. Mm. And the dispute was the fact that like that elected community leader fled during the war, but then that elected member came back and the equipment was with them. But it was stolen by the other coaches and brought to the other community leader that that was during that was there during the war, kind of the de facto leader in that case. And they wanted me to come in and arbitrate. Oh, gosh. And I was like, OK, I started thinking about all these prime directive episodes. And I was like, what do I do in this situation? You were also like, what, 22? I was like 22 years old and probably should not have been in that situation to begin with. This is another weird thing about international aid, right? Is that just send these like young adults who don't know anything. Yeah, but have like the all this backing and resources yeah. of a giant organization or, you know, another country. And so all of a sudden are seen with like this authority that we probably don't have the right to be wielding or the education to be wielding. Mm -hmm. And it was literally like Star Trek that helped me to make this decision. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, I was like, well, I can't really overrule an elected member of this country who legally has this position. So I was like, I think maybe we should probably give the equipment back to this elected representative because this was theft and they are the elected member. And then we can, you can all go about deciding who gets to keep it in the future. But it's not my decision to say like, I'm going to publicly wrest power away from elected member of this community, you know, because that's how it would have been seen. Yeah. I still don't know if that was the right call. Yeah, I, don't I still know don't either. feel like I should have had to make it in, in the beginning at all. But I was like, I, yeah, I can't like publicly subvert like a, an elected official. And there is also like, and I'm not saying this as like a criticism of you specifically, more of the system that you kind of ended up in or that you were, were part of. But like, I, I don't think it's fair to hold a, you know, fourth year university student responsible for, for the system. Yeah. But I think also like if you had said like, I'm not going to, to arbitrate this, I'm not going to make this decision, that also would have been like, well, then what are you doing here? Right. <laughs> like, why are why are you even here? You're supposed to be like helping us with this. But when we ask for your help, you're not like, you know, like, and I think that this, that whole system was, you know, yeah, exactly. You send these young people who have all of these resources and, and this backing that gives them an authority that they really don't know how to wield. And it's not one that we had intended to, but that's what happens when you end up in these circumstances. When you're bringing resources and support into a region that is like a post-conflict zone or is, is facing other challenges, all of a sudden you're now burdened with other responsibilities that you may have not possibly anticipated. Yeah. Like we just thought we were going in to play soccer with kids. Right. You know, we didn't think that all of a sudden there was going to be like a power struggle between two community leaders and that power struggle was going to play out over like a chest of sports equipment. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's interesting. And so I thought about non-interference a lot when I was over there uh, in Sierra Leone. Yeah. So yeah, regardless of whether it's a, a military operation or an aid operation or even on a really small scale, like like as someone who has my entire life been like a, a person who tries to like keep the peace, I think there have been a lot of situations where I've done way more harm than good in the long run. 
because I'm just like, oh, I can see why these people, if I can get these people to communicate, but that's not actually what I'm doing. I'm just imposing my own values or my own interpretation on the two sides. Yeah, and that's why having these reflections on impact versus intention is so important. Yeah. Because you can say, well, I meant well, but that's that you might have meant well, but that doesn't mean everything's okay. No, no. <laughs> and that's why I think Picard, you know, and the Federation and are so hesitant to just jump in and get involved. Yeah. I, w- I totally sympathize or empathize with Crusher, as we'll find in, in this episode. And in the past where she says... I want to interfere. She's she's a healer. That's what she does. She wants to help people. And so I appreciate the dynamic between Picard and Crusher in the few scenarios now with respect to the, the prime directive we have had in this season. Yeah, absolutely. Woo. Should we get into it? Let's do it. So in this episode, the Enterprise responds to a distress call and begins to help deliver medicine to a planet whose entire population suffers from a plague. Or do they? Bum, bum, bum. Or do they? We open we with uh we get something different from usual. It's not the captain's log. It's ca- the captain over the PA system. Yeah, he's giving a me- he's like, "Yo, what's up everyone?" He's like giving an announcement like in school. Yeah. And he's saying they're they're studying at close range a sun in the Delos system that's going through some cool magnetic field changes and so that's going to have an effect on their systems. So that's important to know. That's kind of the setup. That's what gets us into the situation and there's a cool like they're looking at this sun on the main viewer and they they've got like a little black circle masking up the photosphere and they see all kinds of flares and sunspots and Riker uses the word awesome in like its original or like an yeah, older actual meaning, meaning that like it's yeah. awe inspiring yep yeah they see the flares jumping out on the sun yeah it's cool wesley's console overloads <laughs> kind of like in the p episode it is like all that blue energy dancing around i have to say his reaction i feel like one might argue it's like kind of silly because at first he's like whoa whoa look at this and then he like calmly turns around and he's like my console seems to have overloaded. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I feel like that's kind of in character for Wesley. That's what that I would have exactly sense. done myself. You're like, whoa, yeah. whoa, check it out. Uh, Captain, oh, I gotta not be to bother you, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks like the the x-rays or the, for the energy from the flares are starting to penetrate the shield, so they have to readjust the shields. And Troy tells Picard that she can feel the tension on the ship is mounting. Yeah, this is like... Troy isn't used as much in this episode as I thought she could have been, unfortunately. There isn't a whole lot. Yeah, I think it, I'm guessing it's another one of those because because people are being sneaky about something and that's part of the plot. We can't have her reveal that early yeah, because of the plot wouldn't work. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Picard makes an announcement. He says we're pushing the, the shields to the limit, but we are getting a splendid view of the phenomenon, which like that's Meanwhile, great. Everyone but... <laughs> in the ship who can't see the phenomenon and is just like, oh, my God, are we going to die? Sort of cold comfort. Don't worry. The view from up here on the bridge is great. Yeah. You guys keep getting zapped at your console. Good for you. Uh, so Warp intercepts a staticky distress signal. It's Tijan from the Onaran Freighter Sanction, which is orbiting the fourth planet in this star system. And the receiving station, so they're communicating with a planet on, that's a, or the third planet in the system. And they're saying that they can't control their ship and they're losing orbit and they're afraid of burning up in the atmosphere. Yeah. So they, they go to intercept and uh, then we go into introduction. Sensors are being affected by the sun's electromagnetic energy and there's bad staticky visual and audio transmission. We've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah, that's yeah, that's like (laughs) 
uh, a number of days over the last few yeah, months and yeah. year and a half. And Worf says that only a couple of minutes before the freighter's orbit is disintegrating. And there's six life forms on the freighter and they're trying to talk to him and everyone's talking back and forth. At yeah, one at one point, someone is like, you can hear someone's voice saying like, oh, like what's happening? What's going on? Why isn't this working? And you just know that's one of the Breckians. That's not one of the Ornarans. You can't tell who it is, but that's definitely one of the Breckians because the Ornarans are like trying to actually deal with it. But so Tijan can't really explain what the problem is. Like he's saying things like, oh, it's all like, it's all dead. It's all shut down. It's not working. He seems really foggy. Yeah. In a, a couple moments, it's like it's almost played for laughs. Um, we get like, I think this is one of the first Picard face palms. But then like as you go into the episode, I think we sort of realize that this is actually really tragic. It is. He doesn't know how to fix his ship because as we find out, the Ornarans spend all of their time taking care of the Breckians. Yeah. It is really sad. It is really sad. Yeah. And and so and they're all kind of really surprised that no one on the ship knows how to repair their own vessel. So yeah. like, okay, well I guess we have to intervene. So they try to use the tractor beam to lock onto the sanction and pull it to a higher orbit. It fails because the solar flares and all this radiation streaming from the star is will makes the tractor beam not work properly. Yeah. So then Data figures out what the issue is. He's able to tap into their computer and it's like an electromagnetic coil that's misaligned. They don't know how to fix it, so they're gonna beam a replacement over but they won't know how to install it so it's yeah they're like thanks what do what, we do yeah, with it when you give it really, to us <laughs> it's really like okay you actually don't know anything about how your ship operates so Riker wants to take an away team over there but uh Yar is like no that's not a good idea it's with all of this electromagnetic interference that's like let's not send any of us away so they instead decide to try beaming everyone from the ship onto the Enterprise and again like Tijan is like uh okay yeah if you think that's best and Picard is like well is there something else you'd like to do like do you have another idea and he's like no I don't know yeah you can just beam us up so they go to the transporter room and again Yar takes over with the trans like there is a transporter operator there but Yar takes over obviously it's because they didn't want to pay another actor to to do that. Hey, maybe maybe based on her performance on the transporter. Well, yeah, couple episodes like, before, guess, maybe she's just really good with the she, transporter. That's the thing. It's like obviously that's why, but it, this is kind of yeah. lending some some credibility or some. Yeah, I guess I guess she's got some chops yeah. with the transporter. And there's a lot of talking, and like she has to link her transporter pad to the one on the on the freighter, and they're like, oh wait, what are the coordinates? Oh, I didn't know you could do that. There's like, and and she's like, hurry, we have to beam you aboard. Yeah, and then they send over this massive barrel of cargo instead of the people. Yeah, so they're expecting, you know, obviously there there's time is of the essence of the the ship is going to blow up yeah. and instead of sending themselves there's this cargo container and they message up to the bridge, the bridge is like, "Okay, well, do you have them?" and they're like, "No, but they sent their cargo." Yeah. And Picard's like, they're all about to die and they sent their cargo? Like, what's wrong with these people? So Riker tells Yar to just beam the cargo away to one of their, uh, I think one of the, like, the cargo rooms on the, yeah. on the ship. And then is like, lock on anything you can and just get it over here because we don't have any time yeah. left. So she does. She gets four people. There were six life forms. She only manages to get four before the ship does blow up. And so of the four people, two of them, uh, we learned that they are... Tijan and Romus from Ornara, they seem sort of haggard. They're wearing really like rumpled clothing. They're like overalls on. Yeah. It's like they're labor class they, exactly. people. Exactly. Yeah. You can see like <laughs> yeah. they're they're not as clean 
I guess. They're like more sweaty and, and grindy yeah. looking. So that's, yeah, that's Tijan and Romus. And then the other two are much more pristine. They look much like better rested. They're wearing these like fancy, shiny, plasticky clothes. So that's Langor and Sobi from Brecca. And uh, fun fact, Tijan is played by uh, Merit Butrick, Buttrick. I don't know how to say yeah. that name, but that was David Marcus. So that was Kirk's son in The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, and in uh, and Search for Spock. He's in two movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then Sobi is played by Judson Scott. So he played, how do you say the, the guy's name that he played? Is it Joaquim? Yeah, I'm not sure if they actually say it out loud, but he's basically like Khan's first officer. Right. In, in Wrath, Wrath of Khan. Khan. Yeah. Yeah. So two original series movie actors that they yeah. brought on board uh, for this Once episode, you're in the Star cool. Trek family. You're, You're in, in the family. The family. Yeah. yeah. So Tijan and, and Romus, the two Ornarans, they seem very interested in the cargo and, and almost desperate. So they go to the cargo and look at it. And this is where we see that that there's some dispute. So Langor and Sobi say that the cargo belongs to them. It hasn't been paid for yet because the payment was in the freighter. So I think there's actually some ambiguity there because... One could perhaps say that the payment was given to them on the freighter. Yeah. And they lost it. I don't know. They lost it. But but yeah. any, but they're saying, no, the payment has not been delivered yet because it went down with the freighter. Yeah. And they're kind of disagreeing because they're like, well, we did pay you, but yeah. hey, you just didn't get to keep. Yeah. And, and Tijan and, uh, yeah. and Romus are, are less quibbling about the technicalities of whether they paid or not. What they are worried about, and we find out very soon why, they're like, well, we tried to pay you, but we need this. Yeah, so regardless of what you got, it, it's like without this, we... Yeah. Well, they seem desperate. Yeah. So there's, there's, they desperately need this cargo. We're not exactly sure yeah. why it. And then Tijan and Sobi like zap each other with their fingers. Yeah, they can... And Romus yeah. is about to get involved, but then Langor zaps him. And it's very like, woof. Like grabs him by the arm and basically like all this electricity is flowing out of their fingers. Yeah. And so Yar basically takes out her phaser and fires at them to break them up to Jean and Sobi. And then she says to them, behave, gentlemen. She says it in a very calm voice. It's actually a little scary. I wouldn't want to piss you off. No, that's a, like, do not get on Yara's bad side. The people who use the calm voice when they're angry, woof. Yeah. Yeah. So when they walk off, Yar and Riker are walking the hallway and they discuss that, like, you know, they have this natural ability. Maybe it's it's evolved because their sun is naturally so, you know, magnetic and lets off this energy. So maybe the life in the solar system has has kind of developed this power. And Yar realizes that it's a huge tactical advantage for them because they can't be, ever be disarmed. Yeah. It's not like a weapon you can take away from them. Yeah. She's like, I need to figure out how to defend against it. And uh, spoiler alert, she never figures out how to defend against yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. We don't come back to this. Yeah. No. Anyways. On the bridge, Data says that the only recorded contact with this system was 200 years ago when a scout ship discovered that there were these two inhabited planets, one of which was on the verge of discovering space travel or I guess more... Or I guess broader space travel. And it's a little weird that that was the case 200 years ago. And now 200 years later, it seems like they haven't progressed. And Troy, so this is like the, basically the last time we see Troy in the episode. She she says it's strange that none of the people, none of the, the four, uh, feels any remorse about the two who didn't make it. But they are very worried about the cargo. So clearly the cargo is a really important Really important, more important than the lives of their colleagues or fellow passengers or, or yeah. crewmates. 
Yeah. Picard, Riker, and Data go to meet with all the visitors in the observation lounge, and Tijan explains that they only have two freighters left, and that they're critical for the planet's survival, because that's what ferries the cargo yeah. back and forth between the planets. And Data says that they can give them the, the parts that they need, and Sobe and Langor seem very happy about that, yeah. that they that they know now that the the routes can continue back and forth, yeah. that their this economic arrangement will continue. Yeah. So then they argue over the cargo some more, and Tijan and Romus explain that the cargo is medicine. It's something called Felicium. Everyone from Ornara is suffering from a plague, and the... The cargo, the Felicium, is the only thing that can treat it. And Langor and Sobe kind of counter that. Like, they they can, they can know how they're coming across, depriving these people of their medicine. But they counter that the plant that it comes from only grows in very remote areas of Breca, their planet. And it's a lot of work to cultivate. So they can't just give it away. So yeah, the, the Onarans the Onarans really come across as as very angry and and not as rational as the Breckians. And I think it's really important to kind of clarify that the reason they're coming across as not rational, they can't give the same kind of measured, calm responses, is that this is something that they are desperate for. They are sick. And and we learn very soon after this that they are unwell. And so this is something that they need. And the the Breckians are really holding all of the power yeah. by saying whether they can get this Felicium or not. Mm-hmm. So there's something going on with Langor. And I have to give credit to the actor. I always feel like I have to credit uh, her name is Kimberly Farr, and she just plays Langor really, really well. But one thing that that I see happening is what looks to me like something that I have uh, seen and and read a lot about, uh, which is sort of the the weaponization of white womanhood. And Mm. it's something that is more often talked about with like white tears, the way that that white tears, white women's tears are used or the way that white women use their tears to put themselves in a victim position when confronted with their own privilege. Okay, yeah. So if a if a racialized person, often like a black woman, says something, what you're doing is not okay, then a white woman can turn on the tears, whether intentionally or not. Again, the intent is not what's important. It's the effect that's important. And then all of a sudden, this racialized person becomes the villain. Right. Right. They're the aggressor because they made this poor white lady cry. And that's not exactly what's going on here. She's not using tears. And I think really important to note that every one in this episode except for a couple of the regular cast members everyone is white so it's this is not against a racialized population but i do think that that she's doing something related as a white woman as a, she's also like the way she carries herself and the way she's dressed she's very like pristine everything is deliberate nothing she does is like could nothing she does could be um, construed as hysterical or so she is she is positioning herself as like a rational woman who she she does care there's a little bit of a sort of good cop bad cop dynamic with her and Sobe mm-hmm. but she is able it's it's what i think you know some people would call the like she she wants to like speak to the manager or you know it's it's a very early perhaps example of 
of the like the Karen type of the space Karen. Yeah. Which again, like yeah. I think as a white person, I don't wanna say too much about that because that is something that is about white people. And so I, I wanna say that like I, I am also implicated in this kind of thing. But it's you know, she can because she's a woman, she's she can be like less threatening than a man. But what she does is incredibly underhanded and incredibly calculated. Yeah, and, and I think while there might be not a, a racial dynamic at least as as displayed between the actors who play these various aliens yeah certainly there's a social class yes. dynamic yes. between them and you can see that i think they're trying to make that clear to the audience that just immediately when they beamed on the transporter pad when you noted the clothing exactly. that they're wearing you know and everything like that they're trying to show distinctively that one side has has a power advantage and so when they're trying to talk about what's happening down on the planet Roma says that they will see soon see the suffering themselves because they carry the plague and all of a sudden there's these shock <laughs> views because they're all sitting in the room with these people no one's wearing any masks Picard is like and you're excuse like, me yeah they're like have you brought the plague and that is it they, you know they ask I think this is one of the first times they mention the biofilter in the transporter system yeah. but they mentioned that well is it possible that if they were carrying a plague that the biofilters on the transporter would have detected it and removed it but they're not sure because the transporter wasn't really functioning properly. They barely got anyone yeah, out to begin with. They can't verify whether there was a, anything that they could filter yeah. out. Yeah. So Picard immediately calls Crusher yeah. and says that there's a medical emergency. Yeah. So Crusher examines everyone. The Breckians are like, so we're fine, right? And of course, as we're going to soon find out, they know that they're fine. Yeah. She can't detect any virus or any bacteria. She says that that the Breckians are in perfect health, but the Ornarans are like, well, we're not. We need our medicine. And then there's a back and forth. It's our medicine. No, it's ours. And she has to get, she has to stop them from fighting. And then she speaks with Picard privately and she says that, yeah, the Breckians are fine. The Ornarans, they seem unwell, but she can't find any kind of virus or bacteria. Mm -hmm. It's possible it was filtered out in the transporter. She can't say she doesn't think anyone on the ship is at risk. But again, it's hard to say since she can't find anything. Uh, but she does not like the Breckians. Yes. And, and Picard can understand that because they're they're jerks. They are. They, you can see it. Jerks. Yeah. They're really holding this power over a desperate people. Yeah. So the Arnarans beg Picard to give them the Felicium. And they, they look very sweaty and they're shaky and they look feverish. And Crusher tells them that, you know, while she can't figure out what it is that's going on, that she believes it will help them because they seem to know that it will. Yeah. And also, like, even if it's if it's something psychosomatic, like just taking it might still help. Yeah. So Langor and Sobe are just like living it up on the Enterprise. They're like drinking. I'm going to say it's probably Tranya. That's what I'm guessing it probably is. Yeah. You don't think it's orange juice? <laughs> I know that, yeah, in Star Trek, like, things that look orangey are usually Tranya. It's like from, it's like an original series throwback joke. I think that's a little, like, Easter egg that's it in there. It is. I it's just such a funny be. scene because they're, so, like, Langor is sitting on a couch and uh, Sobe is pouring this orange beverage and they're just in silence. They, like cheers each other and like smile smugly at each other and smugly sip their drinks and it's yeah they're, jerks. Yeah, they're, they're just being jerks. they're just being smug at each other so picard walks in again there's like you had mentioned there's just a bit of a a good cop bad cop dynamic and they're they say like oh well we're in business like this isn't charity we don't just give our product away etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think part picard is trying to appeal to the fact that like well if they don't try to help these two that are on the ship like they can't really we can't even have any conversations anymore. Like everything kind of breaks down. Yeah, especially because these two are like feeling so unwell that they can't, they physically can't have a calm conversation. Yeah. 
Like you, you can't have a conversation when you're feverish and, and sweaty and uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So Langor agrees to Picard's request to give to Jean and Romas enough Elysium for their immediate use for one. They're like one dose free of charge. Like they make this big deal out of their generosity. Yeah. I mean, there's like four billion doses or whatever that are in this thing. And her face through this whole thing is so good. She's just, she's she's really well played. I mean, it's similar to, again, like uh, Logan in the last episode or Kaczynski earlier on where I'm just like, you are a jerk. Like, I just want yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that's that's a, that's how you know you're a good actor. If you can make you, if an actor can make you hate yeah, their character, exactly. that's that's good. Yeah, yeah, and she like you can tell everything on her face. It's so intentional. Like she's like, now I'm going to look calm, and like now now I'm going to look kind and sympathetic, and later I'm going to look you know smug again. Yeah. So they go to the the cargo bay, I guess. That's the word I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, cargo, cargo bay. Cargo yeah, bay. and so. Yeah. And then they talk about the the Felicium, which is actually uh, red lentils. If you're curious, yeah, they totally. I was looking at it, and I'm like, that's just lentils. Yeah. That's that's half one hundred percent lentils. Yeah. So Crusher watches as Sobe like measures out like from the lentils these individual portions of point zero one milliliter. It's not a lot. Of, yeah, and then they say that it it used to take up way more space. Like you know, you could fill multiple cargo bays with the same amount of felicium but they have uh, refined their cultivation so that one barrel contains over four billion doses but a dose is effective for at most 72 hours crush is starting to clue in that something's wrong here you know she's confused by this disease it's virulent it's persistent it can't be isolated it can't be cured but felicium treats all the symptoms yeah and they find out like they talk about as they're preparing the dosage they're talking about the economic relationship between the two planets and they found out that brecca has no other industry except the felicium that's all they make yeah and that the onarans provide everything else that they need in exchange for the felicium so like it's a whole planet based on only one product yeah which is never a good idea but also like so what what langor says is the onarans provide us with the necessities of life and we provide them with the necessities of living it is a fair exchange and that it's not a fair exchange it's not at all no like even without the twist later on even if this really was medicine that was curing a plague the fact that you need something more is i mean this is how capitalism works this is the world that we live in but the needing something more should not be what makes it cost more yeah because that that, that's how we end up with and and that is what i mean it's better in canada than in some other parts of the world like the united states but it's still not perfect that like prices of medicines or like all kinds like of insulin and that yeah, kind of exactly thing. they're so high and what people aren't gonna not pay for it yeah so it's it's incredibly exploitive like it's just it, it is 100 exploitation yeah. and then you can see why these why this captain didn't know how to run his ship or like like didn't know how to fix his ship because the whole planet's like everything they do is to take care of the Breckians. Yeah, they've become servants yeah, more than anything. Absolutely. Yeah. The Crusher wants to examine the doses. She's she's really worried about what's going yeah. on. So she takes the doses to sick bay and she watches Tijan and Romas prepare the doses and self-administer. She they eject them into the palm of their hands. And immediately you can see this like euphoria yeah. basically walks 
over them. And she's watching this, and it's like it's pretty clear by this point watching the episode, kind of what's going yeah, on. Yeah. And she marches into the into the ready room. Picard asks, "Are they feeling better?" And she's like, "Yeah, they're feeling good." And she, in fact, they're probably feeling a little bit too good. Felicium is a narcotic, and all the Onarans are addicted. She says that the entire planet is. Are, are drug addicts yeah, the whole planet she says yeah everyone drugs. is addicted i i have to say this is one of my favorite kinds of crusher is when she goes into detective mode yeah and i love it for two reasons one is that she, uh i i feel like this is actually like a lot of what medicine is about it's about like figuring out puzzles so it makes sense that a doctor like a you know a lot of diagnosing like when i interact with a doctor my like gp or whatever i don't see them doing the like detective work the the puzzle solving um, but mm-hmm. I feel like that is a lot of what medicine is. So it makes sense that a doctor would go into detective mode and be like, mm, something's not right here. I need to get to the bottom yeah. of this. But the other thing that I love about it is that she's, as far as I can recall, like she's usually right. Well, yeah. She, yeah. She's she's an awesome scientist. She knows what she's doing. She's like, this is not, we don't have the full story here. Yeah. And she she ends up being totally right. Yeah. So then we go, we go into the bridge and Data and Riker and Wesley have figured out, they somehow like gotten... The history of the system. So several thousand years ago, Ornara was becoming very technologically advanced. Brekka did not. Yeah. And then 200 years ago, a plague struck Ornara. And even though they were incredibly technologically advanced, they couldn't figure out how to cure the plague. And then the details get a little fuzzy here, which they acknowledge, but they found a cure in a plant that was indigenous to Brekka and would only grow on Brekka. They couldn't grow it on Ornara. Yeah, they tried to do try to cultivate the plant on the other planet. It yeah, just didn't it didn't work. work. So they developed this trading situation and Riker at first thinks this is a good situation for both sides because the Breckians are providing the Ornarans with something that they need to live. But Crusher says, no, it's not a medicine anymore. It's a drug. All of the Ornarans are addicted to it and the Breckians are exploiting them. Yeah, and there's there's clear parallel here as to opium. Yeah. Because, you know, they're talking about it's a plant. We know that that the plant has been refined. That they, they mentioned this that the doses have become stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's, you know, that's a problem we're facing in our own world yeah. right now with, with opioid addiction is that we keep continue to see opioid-based drugs that are more and more and more powerful each time, like 10 times more powerful, 100 times more powerful. And there is an opioid crisis you know, as a result of these these refined products. Yeah. So Picard says there's nothing they can do, even though Crusher has suggested that there is an alternative. She can synthesize a non-addictive substitute. And Picard says, no, we can't. It, it violates the prime directive. We can't interfere with the yeah. arrangement. The other thing I would also say, also to like parallel the, the opioid crisis, mm-hmm. is that that... So Crusher says this is what she can do, and perhaps she could, but there have been a lot of problems in treating people who are addicted to to opioids that they manufacture these non-addictive substances, but then they start mm-hmm. cutting costs and they they start to manufacture these, you know, they're supposed to be non-addictive substances, but they don't they don't work as well. And sometimes there's public pressure against these things, right? So like when you look at like safe injection sites, so I live in Vancouver, right? And so this is um, uh, harm reduction, yeah. safe injection sites, um, you know, alternatives like methadone. Like these are things that are talked about often out here. And sometimes people don't understand that. They're like, well, the the severity of the addiction and how terrible it is, that should be the deterrent. Right. 
you know, rather than saying, oh, let's reduce suffering and let's, you know, reduce harm. And people are like, oh, no, no, if we did that, then that means more people are going to do drugs, which is yeah. like a totally unnuanced view of the entire situation. Right. And and also, even when they do provide like, yeah, with their methadone clinics or whatever, then, you know, certain companies who are the companies who are in charge of making those non-addictive substances like the Breckians, they're in business. They're not in they're not just doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. So if there's a cheaper way to make it, might make it less effective, they'll take the cheaper way. Yeah. So Yar gets a call from Ornara and Margan, who I think is like one of their leaders of their society, wants to speak to Dijon and Romas because obviously they're supposed to have delivered the Felicium by now. And Picard says that he'll he'll take the call in guest quarters uh, with Riker Crusher. We have a bit of like a like a PSA after school special moment yeah. here a little bit. And Wesley you know, the innocent young boy on the bridge says that he can't understand why anyone would become voluntarily dependent on a substance. I, let's let's just clarify that voluntarily is the word that Wesley uses. That's not our, yes. our using No, it's in quotation word. marks. Yeah. He says voluntarily. And so this is in the 80s, yes. right? So we're in the heyday of like Reagan's war America. on drugs. Yeah, D.A.R.E. program starts coming out shortly after this. I think it was either late 80s, early 90s, somewhere in there. And so I used to kind of lump this episode in with all of that, like don't do drugs yeah, kids yeah. kind of stuff. But it, having rewatched it, it's actually not, it's not like that really at all. Like it doesn't, as, as we'll see, it's not very victim blamey and that kind of thing. And, and Yar has this explanation. She talks about, because as we've uh, understood from Yar, she lived on this like terrible colony yeah. that was violent and, and impoverished. And she she says to Wesley, she's like, you know, first of all, they didn't get into the whole point that that's not why the Onarans started taking the drug. It's not as an escape from poverty and violence. I think actually that might be why it's kind of clunky because he starts off, he's like, I get why these people would be addicted. Oh, it makes sense. It was to cure a plague. But I don't understand why other people would get addicted. Yart talks about how poverty and violence can can lead to addiction. And that is that is true. And what I appreciated about this explanation that she gives, she doesn't say, which could have easily been how it was written, oh, my colony became terrible because people were doing drugs. Right. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what happened. People became addicted and rates of addiction increased because of the poverty to begin with. That is what happens. And I'm glad that they stuck with that yeah. and they use that because that that is more accurate and more true. Yeah. There's a there's a bit of a fan theory among some some folks apparently that this this speech is evidence that Yar herself uh dealt with addiction. And I apparently Denise Crosby has said that that's that sounds totally plausible. Oh, see, this is... Uh, I know, I know. I know, I know. We'll see, get into it. <laughs> there's so much cool stuff with Yara's backstory that would have been really interesting to Star Trek because, like I said before, she she comes from a place that's not idyllic like the rest of the people in the Federation and they could have gone into more of these kinds of stories. Yeah, well, we'll get into that. We'll get into that soon. <laughs> but but I also think uh, Wesley is really coming in this in this conversation he's really coming from a place of privilege and this is also a moment as I was watching this I realized that I used to have a really similar train of thought to him that he's saying like well I just don't understand it and I used to really be like you know I just don't understand why people start smoking sure you know like we we know that it's addictive we know that it's not good for you so why do people start and I think it, it was important in, in looking at this episode in me kind of doing some reflection and thinking like, well, I don't have to understand it to to understand that it does happen. 
and mm-hmm. and that it happens for reasons that are not just people being like, oh, I'm a rebel, right? Like, yeah, poverty right. and violence are things that it makes sense that you need to escape that. And and if you need to find an escape, you know, your your options are limited. And sometimes sometimes a drug is the only escape. And Yar is very kind to Wesley about this when he says he doesn't understand. And she's like, I hope you never do. But that is... The reason he doesn't understand is that he he is in a position of extreme privilege. Yeah, and, and it's privilege that I guess they're all, I don't know, I guess in a way they all have access to because this is like this society that they've created, mm-hmm. you know, and so they, they don't understand because none of them have lived except for Yar in a society that has completely collapsed. Yeah. So they don't know. Yeah. And so when she says, well, I hope you never do, I think it, it comes from like a genuine place because she doesn't want him to have to live through this like the, course, the hell that, yeah. he, that she did but at the same time people should make the effort to understand yeah and so or or yeah. whether you understand or not you you can have the compassion without first understanding yeah at least realizing that addiction doesn't happen in a vacuum yeah. it's not like someone's like i'm gonna become a drug addict yeah. today you know it's you know it's not that they voluntarily become dependent yeah so eventually so picard gets into the the guest quarters and tells yar to forward the call into there and yeah so so margan is like pleading he's like what do you have the felicium and tijan is trying to explain we have it but we don't have it and margan's not listening he's just like you have to get it to us we are dying here. You can see that in their in their eyes. They're they're so they're so sad. Like they're looking down at their planet. Yeah. And they're like, oh my goodness, like the whole society is falling yeah. apart, right? So. And Riker and and Picard and Crusher are all in the room with them and they're all just like like they I think Picard is really at a loss of what to do. Yeah. And then so to Jean, in a moment of desperation, he just reaches over and grabs Riker and starts zapping him. Yeah. And he says I'm going to kill this person if you don't get us the Felicium. Yeah. And Picard calms him down. And Riker just looks like he's he's kind of paralyzed <laughs> yes. from the electricity. He's has like this this kind of look of shock on yeah, his face. Yeah, he can't move. Pun intended. Pun intended. <laughs> and so Picard says, listen, I know that you're not a killer. Uh, you're not going to... He's like, I'm going to kill this person. Picard says, no, you won't. Or no, you're I not. I feel like that's, that's one of like my favorite tropes is like, you know, this old wise person saying you're not a killer. Does that ever actually happen, do you think? I, I've i never used it uh, in real life, <laughs> no. you know, or seen it used in real life. Um, but I think Picard is, I appreciate the tone that Patrick Stewart chooses yeah. to use in this scene. Like, he doesn't say, no, you're not. Like, uh, as in, I'm going to stop you. Yeah. He's like, no, you're not, because you're going you're gonna to stop yourself because you're not a killer. He recognizes their desperation. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really important. I mean, important. I, think, I think what he's doing is he is showing that compassion, even though his first officer is in mortal danger, that he's like, I'm not yeah. holding this against you right now. Yes. I'm giving you an opportunity to not do the thing you just said you were going to do. Yeah. And obviously, we didn't find a way to stop them from zapping people. <laughs> Clearly not. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So Langor enters and asks to speak to Picard and, and brings Crusher with him. Yeah. So Langor and Sobi are, are now in a room with Crusher and Picard. And they, they're they very, like, magnanimous. And they're like, we... We've decided. We've decided. We don't want to be the cause of their suffering. We will give the Felicium to the Ornarans. Why they couldn't say this to the Ornarans is not clear, but they say it to Picard. And... See, this is where I kind of would have appreciated Troy's presence because I think it's a little much 
that Crusher and Picard are just able to put this whole thing together. Yeah, that is, it, I think her, her presence there would have made sense. I think they're also recognizing, especially now, they can put it together because they've discovered that the drug is addictive. Yes. And Picard realizes that they need them to maintain the cycle of addiction. Absolutely. And they're re- recognizing now, if people start going through withdrawal and then come out on the other side. They're going to learn that they don't need the, the felicium. So that's why Picard looks at them. As soon as they give the, this, yeah. this this generous offer yeah. of the felicium, yeah, like, Picard's oh, like, they know. Yeah, they know. They, they knew all along. Yeah. They knew all along. And they determined that the Breckians must have also had the plague at one point, used the felicium to cure themselves broke the cycle of addiction for themselves, but didn't tell the Ornarans. And I have my own theory here. Okay. So we learned earlier that the Ornarans were technologically advanced. The Breckians were not. Mm-hmm. And so I'm guessing that means that the Ornarans were the ones who were on the verge of discovering like space travel. So I wonder if whether intentionally or just sort of like they didn't do anything to stop it. The Breckians perhaps gave the plague to the Ornarans and then didn't tell them that the, the the substance that treated it was also addictive. Oh, maybe. So they were like, oh, these these people are way more technologically advanced than we are. We can use that to our advantage if we get them hooked on this addictive substance that we have managed to break the oh. cycle of addiction. Oh, that's even a way bigger conspiracy. I don't know. Oof. I just think it's... it's it's possible. They talk about refining the process. So Crusher knows that then, and them refining the process increases the potency and quote unquote tightens their grip, you know, and Crusher is furious. She really is. And and Picard says that he he can't tell the Ornarans. So, and as they're saying this, this is again, like really good face acting from both of the Breckians, but especially Langor, that she gets this look on her face like, oh crap, we've been found out. Yeah. But then... She gets her, she composes herself and she gets her sort of smug look again. And she's like, oh, are you going to tell them? And Picard says, no, I can't. That would violate the prime directive. And he can talk about it with the Breckians because he's not giving them any new information. Yeah. They already know all of this. But he can't tell the Ornarans because that would be interference. And Crusher says, this is not a symbiotic relationship. This is exploitation. You can't let the Ornarans have this Felicium. Mm-hmm. But Picard says, as soon as the as soon as they decided they were gonna give it to them, his hands were tied. And Langor says, "You're absolutely right, Captain. It's not your business." She's really scary. It reminded me of so I, I looked up quickly because I, rem- I remembered from a couple years ago there was this um, lawsuit against Purdue mm. Pharma for their role in in the opioid crisis. And they're a make- maker of OxyContin. And there was like an eight, I think it was over $8 billion settlement that they agreed to pay in a part of a guilty plea because they were giving kickbacks for for basically overprescription of this drug, knowing that it was addictive, knowing what it was doing to people and and contributing to an overall opioid crisis. So it, in a way, like these people are, they're Purdue Pharma. Yeah. That's what this society is. And I thought it was like, you know, this is back in the 80s, but it's nice now that in a way, like that narrative is flipped. We're not fighting the addicts like we used to be. That like the war on drugs used to be often like a war on on communities that were impoverished. Yes. It wasn't against the the Breckians as it should have been. Yeah. It's always like we've been fighting the Onarans instead. And that doesn't make any sense. You know, the war on drugs often, unfortunately, always targeted the exploited and not the exploiters. Yeah. And I think there was also like the war on drugs was another way of 
controlling, yeah, controlling and continuing to exploit and like furthering the marginalization of already marginalized communities. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So Picard, I mean, Picard isn't happy about this turn of events. But so in the in the cargo hold, we see Tijan and Romus are looking at the new coils for the freighters and they're like, all right, so these are all working. This is going to fix us up. And Picard and Crusher enter and Picard tells them that Sobi and Langor have decided to let them have the Felicium and Tijan and Romus are so thankful. They're yeah. like, we'll figure out how to pay. Yeah, come with us. We'll 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 find a, a way of paying you back. We'll give you, it seems like, just about anything. The Breckians are going to beam down with them to discuss it. And then they, the, Tijan and Romus thank Picard for the coils. And this is where Picard, I think, realizes that he actually can have some impact my my theory is that he always had this card in his back pocket. Oh, okay. You think that he knew he could do? So you this think because... in the in the previous scene he was like he knew this was this was gonna happen? Oh yeah, yeah. And he can't say that in front of Crusher. But I think part of the reason why he's so calm in that situation is he he knows he has one more card he can play. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah, because he says he says no, you can't have them. If you want to repair your ships, you're gonna have to learn how to do that yourself. And the Breckians are like. Furious. We did not see that one coming. Yeah. Yeah. And and they say, they're like, you are going to be interfering with the planet's trade agreement. And he's like, no, actually giving the coils would be interfering. That would be the violation of the prime directive. Not withholding them is not violating the prime directive. That's just like, and I mean, what he's kind of doing is making it so that if the, if the enterprise hadn't been there, if this ship had gone down, then I mean, Ornara would not have gotten any of this uh, Felicium, but also they wouldn't have gotten any replacements for their for their coils. Their parts anyway. So yeah. the, he's kind of he's like it's not exactly as if he hadn't been there, but it it is more like if he hadn't been there, then giving them the coils would be. There's there's another power move that I think happens here as well. Is that when when Picard is talking to them and the Breckians are complaining, he says. It di- you didn't seem to mind so much when the arrangement suited you. Mm-hmm. But when he says that, Tijan and Romas have no context for what he's saying in that conversation. Yeah. And so I think he's basically threatening them by saying, if you complain about this too much, I'm going to reveal what's going oh, on. Yeah. Or like I could reveal what's going yeah. on. Because he's referring to a conversation that the other two weren't a part of. Because when he says, when you know that the co- that the Prime Directive benefited you, it's by not revealing that the drug was addictive or that it's no longer required. So I think he's basically telling them, you better be careful with how much you complain right now in this open cargo. Pit. Yeah, because you're, you're, one of us is going to say something and I can't promise it won't be One of us is going to say me. something. Yeah. yeah. That's right, yeah. But uh, the Ornarans are really hurt because they yes. they think that this is him being heartless. And I mean, in, in yeah. a way, like it's, they're not totally wrong he's doing what he can he's trying to not interfere but given that he did already interfere in the first place by by helping them out like that you know he can't just be like oh i was never here because he clearly was there yeah and this is the first time so again with the like face acting this is the first time where like langor's face is really like oh no we are screwed like usually she's able to like compose herself but now she's just like She's out of options. She's out of cards. Yeah, she realized they what they've done because no, no one knows how to fix it. Yeah, tech, which is of their own of making course. because 
they the Ornarans would be technologically advanced. So it's like it's their own their own they're reaping what they sell. They are. In this case. And I, I yeah. wanna be really clear, like I'm saying Langor just because I think she plays it really well. Sobi is just as much at fault and their entire society yeah. but she just the way she plays it i i love it she's so good she's so yeah. good and so Tajan says captain i hope you realize what you've done to us and picard all he can say is he says of that you can be sure yeah good luck crusher does say like obviously again she can't give away what's going on but she says like you have to trust yourselves there are other options so basically she's like <laughs> dancing on that line yeah she doesn't she she's not giving it away but she's basically like don't despair because i think there is like you know the it's the withdrawal s- symptoms seem awful so it's quite possible yeah. that that this could lead to other you know like not getting the felicium while it might maybe eventually cure them of their addiction it could also lead to significant violence and conflict and it's not gonna be good yeah it's not like they're just gonna feel better tomorrow and be like oh guess we don't need the felicium after all yeah so on the way back to the bridge they have a turbo lift talk which some of my favorite conversations on the enterprise yeah. happen in you the turbo lift. turbo lift talks turbo lift talks that was actually one of the suggested names i had yeah. for our our yeah. podcast before we, we picked with the first link yeah uh turbo lift talks anyways so crusher and picard they have this talk about the prime directive and i like that this conversation comes after the whole scenario like they could have had it beforehand to figure out what to do right but it's like, no, it's done. And now they're reflecting yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah. So, you know, and so the, the weight and the tension of the moment is gone. So they can just have like an open conversation. Mm-hmm. And Crusher thinks that they could have made a huge difference by easing their pain by, you know, pro- by providing something to, to help them on withdrawal. And Picard is convinced, is not convinced it actually would have been beneficial in the long run. And he says, the prime directive is not just a set of rules. It's a philosophy and a very correct one. <laughs> so he says, I can't do yeah, his accent properly, but he says, correct one. And history is, you know, has proved again and again that whenever... People interfere with a less developed civilization, no matter how well-intentioned that interference may be, the results are invariably disastrous. I think, I mean, one thing I would actually amend with that, with what he says, it's not just with a less developed civilization. That's That to me is, is a little bit of the like saviorism still, mm-hmm. but it's when people interfere with a, a situation that they are not familiar with. They don't have, they don't know all the variables. Yeah, so the issue is not because the other people were quote-unquote less developed. It's that the people who thought they were more developed in their, maybe their their arrogance yeah. didn't have all the facts. Yeah, often, like I, I right? mean, it's one thing that I think about a lot with, with colonization of this part of the world, of North America. Yes. And, you know, all of this, what was thought of as like progress that Europeans brought over is destroying mm-hmm. the land. And the yes. people who were here, many of them knew how to take care of the land and work with the land. So it's not like, oh, you like poor, sad, primitive people, let me teach you how to live a more developed way. It's actually, oh, I've got something that doesn't take into account the you know generations of knowledge that you have. I'm going to impose that on you. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, so I think that, while they're the prime directive, I think is intended to be an anti-colonial check and balance yeah. on the Federation in a way. It still kind of does come from a colonialistic or paternalistic totally, place. Totally, yeah, very paternalistic. Yeah, 
Uh, I like Crusher's response. And she says, it's hard to be philosophical when faced with suffering. And that's very true. Absolutely. And I think also like brings up the the differences in their roles. Crusher as a doctor doesn't have the luxury when she is dealing with like an actual patient of being philosophical because she is in much more of a hurry and that's her responsibility and Picard's responsibility is as a captain in addition to you know the the safety and well-being of the crew is also to maintain the mission Uh, yeah yeah that's yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah, so one of them's looking at it like this is my patient. Yes. They, that whole society of Onara might just might as well be on her bio bed. And you need, it's not to say that one of them is right and one of them is wrong. You need both of those perspectives to to effectively yes. do it. If you're always looking yeah. at it from a sil- philosophical point of view, you're going to lose sight of the actual people. And if you always are looking at at the individual in the individual cases you will make decisions that are going to maybe be beneficial in the short term but not in the long run so yeah and i think in the end like between here and i'm thinking like back on uh, justice right. you know when wesley was taken by that one society right. they they do seem to find between crusher and picard a middle ground mm-hmm. of in some mm-hmm. way you know in this case that the ex- the cycle of exploitation is still going to be broken, we we think, based on how this episode ends. Yeah. But it's just going to be more painful than Crusher would have wanted. Yeah. You know, which is yeah. fair. That's a fair concern. And the other thing I like about this conversation is that, so Crusher says, like, well, I hope this was the right decision. And Picard's answer is, we may never know. And I like that because, again, it's not about them. Right. They have nothing to do with it. So it's, yes, Crusher is probably, this is probably going to be something that keeps her up at night. It's uncomfortable, but the Breckians and the Ornarans do not exist to be saved by the Federation. They are not, they're not instruments for, for members of the Federation to feel good about themselves. See, I thought they said that just because like, don't expect a sequel episode. That things, also, we don't do that, that is also important. <laughs> we don't do yeah, that now. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> We'll never talk about these people again. Apparently there are some novels connected to Deep Space Nine that said something like the Breckians just uh, uh, sent Felicium to other worlds. Oh. They kept their industry of of addiction. Uh, For the galaxy. I guess. So Picard tells LaForge to take them out of orbit. And when they ask for a direction, he's like, anywhere. Just away from this system. Let's just move on. From yeah, here. and so LaForge decides on the opera line system because they've never been there before, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, they ask him why. He says, he says curiosity, we've never been yeah. there. And I thought, is that built into the mission of the Enterprise that sometimes they could just be like, well, they're just on like auto explore mode and they can just go where they want and see stuff. I'm like, that's pretty Seek cool. Seek out new life and new civilizations. Civilization, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boldly go. Boldly go. Cool. So they boldly go. They boldly go. Well, and thank you for boldly coming with us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod, or you can send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com. Tell us any thoughts you have. You don't need to just follow my instructions. Tell us. Tell us what you thought of the episode, of any previous episodes, any upcoming episodes. We want to hear from you. I am Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And hey, eat your lentils. (laughs) Nice.